relationship with each other um, and, uh, and how God used him and also as well the, some of the, the commands that are given to us in the book of Titus. So let's open up with prayer. Lord, I thank you for your, your love for us again. I thank you for your word today. And Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, today we are using it and handling it properly. And Lord, I pray that you give us understanding of what your will is. And I pray that you would just grow us in that. Lord, use us this week um, to, to grow in godliness, to grow in the knowledge of the truth. And Lord, also to bring that truth to those that you love and to those that you have been preparing, Lord, to hear it. And I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Titus was a, uh, was a Gentile, and he was a convert who had traveled and he had served with Paul. Um, we're going to get into the book of Titus, but we're just going to touch a couple of verses that, that describe uh, some of the things that Titus did with Paul. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, Real quickly, um, just the first three verses. Paul says, Then, after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation and, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running, and I had not been running my race in vain. And if we turn to 2 Corinthians, um, we read also uh, chapter 7. Second Corinthians 7, verses 6 and 7. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, and your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So just real quickly on this verse, what is required to happen to be comforted. Somebody has to be hurt. Somebody has to suffer. What else? Okay. That that is a, the point I'm getting at. But back up before that. Okay, seek God. <laughs> there, has, there has to be what needs to happen in order for, say I am in, in, in just for example, if I'm suffering, okay, we already know that a person has to be suffering to, in order to be comforted. What has to, be ha- what has to happen outside of me in order for me to be comforted? People have to know that you're hurting and... They have to be around fellow Christians. They have to be around fellow believers who are obedient to what God is calling you to. Which means that that person may have had to suffer sometime in the past to experience 
and have the opportunity to minister to you who is suffering, who in turn is going to minister to someone who is suffering later on. Okay? So there's, there's, there's so many levels of obedience in the suffering, not just to the sufferer, but to the one who is giving the comfort of Jesus Christ to that person. And so I just wanted to kind of point that out in here. When Paul is suffering, he's suffering. Who's he suffering for? He's suffering for Christ, but who's the person that he's concerned about? The individual. Titus. Why? Why is he so concerned about Titus? And these are just generic questions. There's not a direct answer that I'm looking for right here, but he's concerned about Titus because he loves the Lord. He's concerned about the people that he is co-laboring with because he loves Jesus Christ. And Titus has demonstrated that same love for Jesus Christ. And so Paul naturally just automatically is just so deeply concerned for Titus's well-being. So then uh, if we just jumped out of 2 Corinthians 8, 16 through 24. He says, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. Paul and Titus share the same compassion and the same passion for serving Jesus Christ um, as each other. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming with you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking plans, pains, excuse me, to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we're sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he's zealous, and now even more so because of his his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the church can see it. So now then, if we go, to, if we go back to the book of Titus and we read the first couple of verses, <clears throat> it starts out, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle, of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time in verse 3 and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God's of God our Savior Something that's significant to the, to the introduction in the book of Titus is Paul says a servant of God and an apostle of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Um, I find it important that, that there is a reversal of titles in here, that he refers to a servant of God. Whereas if you read in his other letters, if you look at Romans 
uh, Romans 1.1, he says, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He reverses those titles. And I think that's significant because we need to understand that Jesus Christ is God and God is Jesus Christ. And if we go back to John 17, I love this. I just love the intercessory prayer that Jesus, uh, that Jesus gives here in John 17, verses 20 and 21. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Okay? He's praying specifically for Paul as well as all the other apostles and anyone else who is out to fulfill the Great Commission. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is acknowledging in his humanity that he has to rely on God the Father while he's here. And then as he's going through his prayer, he's looking for the restoration that takes, that's going to take place that's going to put him and the Father back in heaven. And also, the, the fact that the Spirit of God is going to live inside of us, and he's offering that to them, or he's offering that up to God, <clears throat> the sanctification that's going to take place through the commitment to serving Jesus Christ. And so in, in Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, um, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge. So what does that tell me if it's to further their faith? What does it tell me about the people um, that he's talking about? It, it, it tells me that they've already surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. Okay, it tells me that they've, they're already saved. And so what he's giving here is a, a description of discipleship. To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So increasing faith and godliness cannot be attained without a knowledge about godliness. So they have to go hand in hand. So when we look at increasing faith, um, there has to be a knowledge about the truth. And that truth always leads to godliness. So the question I ask today is, are there churches, and I'm, this, isn't, this is more a statement than a question, but are there churches, uh, or have you maybe been in a church, I know I have, where I've walked in and from week to week and month to month, there's not a whole lot of growth that takes place, spiritually in myself. Have you ever been to that place? Have you ever been in that point? Okay, I think if we were being truthful, we would all say I've been that person. What did we do about that at that time? And I'm asking rhetorically, and I can tell you that there, I went for a number of years, not just months, years, in a place where I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do, to show up, just fill my duty and go home and say, thank you, Jesus, for another great day in church. I wasn't expected to do a whole lot. And I don't really feel, um, I don't really feel persecuted. I don't really feel like I'm suffering, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And I would come and I would go from week to week in that, in that status. And, and there were even times where I would come and go 
And when I left that day, the attitude in my mind was even more, I wonder what people thought of me today. I wonder if they thought I was spiritual. And, and, and today I realized, man, was I practicing religion or what? You know, I was just in it to, to make sure that people were pleased, make sure they got a little bit of scripture, make sure they got a little bit of encouragement. Man, I want you to feel good. Um, I don't want to scare anybody off. I don't want to push anybody away. You know what? If you preach on sin, people are going to leave. Okay. If I don't preach on sin, people are going to stay and they're going to go to hell. And that's, that's just the way it is. So when we look at this, he's talking to them about furthering their faith, um, increasing their knowledge of the truth, and leading them into a godly lifestyle, which means that they will probably suffer and be persecuted similarly to what Paul was. Titus is doing that himself. Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him to encourage others to do the same. And so that's what we need to be doing as we move forward in, in our walk with the Lord. So then uh, faith and knowledge are always, if we look at this, this particular passage, in the hope of eternal life, verse 2, faith and knowledge are always resting on the hope of eternal life. And I keep going back to using the example of if, if somebody came in here and told me the building was on fire, if I believed them, I'd find the nearest exit and I would leave the building and I would want to take as many people with me as possible. If my hope is eternal life and I know that one day I'm going to die or one day Jesus Christ is going to return, what am I doing in my daily walk to make sure that when I exit this earth, I'm going to make sure I take as many people with me to heaven as I possibly can? What kind of preparations am I making to make sure that that happens. And, and I've come to the conclusion that over the years, up until recent years, I haven't done a whole lot. I've really felt the prodding, I've felt the conviction, I've felt this, the, the Holy Spirit saying, David, I want you to talk to this person. David, I want you to be bold with my truth. And I, and I would go, but Lord, if I do that, he's gonna, this person's gonna not want to be with me. They're, they're, they're gonna feel uncomfortable around me. He said, it's not you that's making them uncomfortable, it's me. And as long as he's comfortable, this person's comfortable with you, then you're not doing what I want you to do. And so these are the kind of things that I continue to learn over the years. Um, what the Lord really struck me with over the recent, recent years is that when I act and my motivation behind what I say and what I do is being having a comfortable relationship, then my, my hope is not in eternal life. And that's what I'm demonstrating to that person. So anyway, faith and, faith and knowledge are resting on the hope of eternal life. Let's, get, let's look at Second Peter, Second Peter 1. I think I wrote the wrong verses down, but I'm right close to the right area here. Yeah, 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, keeping in mind that the, that the ultimate goal in, title, in Titus is to, um, is to move toward godliness. 
So verses 3 through 11 in 2 Peter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. But stop right there. When does that calling take place? <laughs> From reality, let's put it that way. <laughs> The moment we understand and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have what we need to give to somebody else an understanding about who Jesus is. And so when we step into obedience there, it's his divine power that gives us that. He, um, he gives us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his glory. So then when we read on, though the... Uh, through these, he has given us his great and very, uh, sorry, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual effect, affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from, other, from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and, if you and will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So in this writing from Peter, we see Paul's influence on Peter's life as well, because he writes this, uh, I'm not real sure, but it's just a few years after Paul writes this letter to, to Titus, and it's near the end of Peter's, de uh, Peter's life. And as we're looking at it, verse 3, or verse 4, excuse me, through these he has given us a great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. How many of you guys remember going to PE class when you were in high school? How many hated it? What did you have to do to get a passing grade in PE class in high school? Participate. participate. There's a word in there, and it says participation. That is, there's an element of activity, of physical movement. Um, we've, heard it, we've heard faith described like this. Faith moves you into or away from something or another. Faith in Jesus Christ always moves you closer to Jesus Christ, and, he, and he, it moves you into a place where you cannot rely on your own abilities, but you have to rely fully on his abilities. So I ask this question, are there spiritual needs in Christ's church that are unmet? Excuse me. There's always spiritual needs in every church, but are there unmet spiritual needs in Christ's church. Did you say no? Oh, probably. Okay. So then... No. I, 
<laughs> the right answer is, is I hope there, I, I wish there wasn't, um, but the truth is, there are. That is true, but what I'm asking you is, do you know of unmet spiritual needs in Christ church? Can you name a spiritual unmet? I, I worded that wrong. Sorry, my grammar is horrible. Can you name unmet spiritual needs in Christ church? And, okay, if you're not going you don't have to answer that. But what I want you to do for next week is to think about these things, not to criticize us, but to think critically of ourselves. Okay? In other words, we've had, we've had it said before that when we bring prayer requests, I'll get you in just a second. When we bring prayer requests to the Lord, are we bringing prayer requests of things, Lord, I want you to do this, but don't ask me to participate? Or, Lord, I want you to do this, and I am willing to be used in whatever way you choose to meet that need. And oftentimes, I mean, it's Geologic, ge geographically, sorry, not geologically, geographically, probably impossible or unlikely, you know, if we have family members that live across the country or something like that, and we may pray. I pray often for, you know, for people to, Lord, bring someone into their path that they respect, um, Lord, that is going to point this friend or this family member to you. Then the question that immediately has to be attached to that is, and Lord, I'm willing to step into that same role that somebody that I don't know about is praying for right now for my coworker or for my uh, neighbor or for somebody that I know that's in my life. And so when we pray that and ask God to fill that for somebody else, we have to ask the question, are we ready and prepared to step into that role in somebody else's life as well? So yeah, did you have a question? <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't, but I have made, I have, I've, that's in the back of my mind, and so I am still, I'm going to be moving in that direction, so yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So, <clears throat> who? Did you have a question, Sherry? Okay, I'll give you a pass because you were on the couch last week. Uh, last week we actually talked about how Peter, uh, and she was injured so she wasn't here. We talked about last week how, when, um, how Peter and the disciples, they were ministering to all of the people that were coming out and joining the church. And, you know, the, the message that Peter gave and when they said, you know, there was, there was some conflict going on because some of the widows weren't being fed. And Peter says, you know what, we need to appoint some people to minister to these people, to meet their needs. And there has to be a prerequisite that they have to be filled with the Spirit. They have to be ready to present the gospel message. They have to be ready spiritually before we put them in a position to do something that, you know, is just filling the needs of the church and the body of believers so when we say, are there spiritual needs that are unmet in our church, it doesn't mean necessarily just teachers or just worship leaders or just musicians. The church has still got to be cleaned. Um, 
there's, there's still things that are going, you know, and, and these are things that, that cross my mind. How are we reaching people um, in, in love throughout the week? If a guest comes in here, how do they know throughout the week that, that there are people in this church that are praying for them and that love them and want them to be uh, experiencing Christ's love? You know, and I'm looking at, are, are we reaching out? Are we doing outreach in our community like we should? Um, you know, are, there, there's so many things that could be or need to be filled that, that we're not getting to. So, yes, you and then you. Jim? Yeah, I was, I was thinking along the same line as Jerry because what, everything you just read in Second Peter and what you've read so far in Titus, neither Peter or Paul are talking about physical. They're, they're talking about experientially growing in the knowledge of right. God. Right. People's spiritual growth. Right. So oftentimes churches will start to do the physical things at their best ability right. when they're not growing spiritually and things fall apart. If, if a person grows spiritually, you don't, Jesus didn't say, Peter, follow me and I'll instruct you how to witness. He said, follow me and you'll fish. Right. Right. Right, right, and and the uh, the crazy thing was is there was a time in my life where um, where I was good at that, and what I mean by that is I was good at keeping people busy. I was good at implementing. Okay, you know what? We need this person. You'd be good at this. Let's see. and I could put people in positions uh, to get jobs done, and I could make. Uh, a youth group feel like, wow, man, this is a lot of fun. I was really, you probably don't believe this, but one, at one time I was a really fun guy. <laughs> but <laughs> the kids thought so, and I could do a lot of cool stuff that, that would bring a crowd of kids. But the reality is, is I was in that position, and I was not feeding, I, my spirit was not being fed like it needed to be to be able to feed their spirit. And that's what was expected of me. The worst part is, is the leadership expected that and they thought that was success they thought that that was um that that was just awesome because look at all the kids that are coming in to our church and 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 if i go back and i look now i mean i've had to repent i said man lord what happened you know I, when i started asking the questions what happened when two-thirds of the kids that uh that i baptized that i taught aren't in church or are are casual in their church or whatever and that kind of thing and i'm going what did I do wrong? And he says, David, you lost your focus with me, and so how are you supposed to convey that focus to them when you're not doing what you should? And, and it was all about being pleasing to, um, being pleasing to who I 
considered my superiors, I guess you could say, at the time. I was more concerned with that than I was with pleasing God and, and rejecting, um, not necessarily purposely causing conflict, but rejecting. When it got to the point where I did stand against those superiors, guess what? Well, you don't, maybe you don't need to be a youth pastor or youth leader. Maybe you don't need to be you know, in this position. And all of a sudden, I started to feel uncomfortable, and I went, huh. I've been listening a lot this past week on how you know it's time to leave a church. Not that I'm leaving here. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. But I, I, I'm getting a lot of questions. This, during the things that we've been through uh, as Christians in the last year, I've had a lot of people come to me and ask questions. You know, it just doesn't seem right, the things that we're doing in our church. And, and I'm reading things in my Bible that just don't correspond. And I'm going, if you're in a position where you can approach your leadership... You need to approach your leadership. And that's what I'm instructing them to do. And if they don't want to listen to what God's Word says, then we understand it's time to leave. It's time to move on. And so I never, I never encourage people to, to just bail out and, and leave because I don't want that to happen here if, if it ever comes to a place. Uh, and I don't believe God's Word instructs us to do that. Um, but the, the question always has to be presented, um, and, I, and I encourage people to be like the Bereans were with Paul. When, uh, when Jim gives a message, I don't know about you, but I go home, there's some Sunday afternoons, I'm, I'm wiped out, first of all. <laughs> you know, it's, it is. Um, I feel like it's nap time. But there's times when I go home and I just sit down and I think about the passages of Scripture that were read, and I'm going, wow, Lord, you love us so much. And you want me to be here when I'm here you know and sometimes it's it's growing me into sorry Jim I don't know how you wear this thing this this drive me nuts. oh okay <laughs> oh well but uh, anyway I think about those things and you know and sometimes I can't help but go back to go you know once in a while I'll go back to my bible that afternoon or maybe later that evening and just go back over those things and realize, okay, God, there's some, some things in my life that, I, that weren't right, and I have to repent. But when I think about the unmet spiritual needs, Nico, you made a good point. Does every person have to be involved, though, in every aspect of every gift that, that goes on in the church? I'm not saying that to say I'm not going to be a part of that, because I am. I, I really want to be a part of it. But I, I can't tell you how many times in the last month I've gone, Lord, thank you for... Tim Tiemann and Larry and Nico and the people that are doing this stuff that I used to do that drove me crazy. <laughs> you know, people that are doing that. And Lord, thank you for people who come in and bring food, you know, so that we don't have to leave in between church builders and church. And, and there's, I'm, I'm like Jim, I'm seeing so many ways that because God is working in people's lives that people are coming together to serve one another. And so it's Allowed by who? Allowed by you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. So, so, Nico, I'm going to pick on you. 
so if you were here thir- uh, Wednesday night, what is the word that we learned? Admonish. Admonish. We're, in Colossians 1, we're given the instructions, not as just as leaders, but as fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, to teach and admonish one another. And so we want to be a teacher, but we don't want to be an admonisher. We don't want to rebuke. We don't want to correct because that brings tension. But the only, the only reason why it brings tension is because we think it's from me to you, and it's not. So when people come to me, and, and, and they, they used to do this, but they don't do it anymore, and Marilyn really helped me with this, is God helped me through Marilyn. Excuse me. Let me correct that. God helped me with this through Maryland. Maryland doesn't want any credit for anything. So, uh, and that's, that's the right attitude. I, I, don't, I don't criticize her for that. But people would come to me and say, well, Jim won't like it if we do this. And I go, what's Jim got to do with it? <laughs> and he's nodding his head. Jim's just the messenger. The messenger. The, the problem is, is, is when we have a struggle with something, a preacher preaches, if he's preaching the truth, we don't have a problem with that pastor, we have a problem with the word. If I am at work one day and I talk to my coworkers about Jesus Christ and they say, shh, I don't want to hear it anymore. I do. I sent Leo to do the dirty work. Man, I'm so glad the Lord brought Leo along. (laughs) Oh, I send him right into the lion's mouth, I tell you. Um. (laughs) But you know what's cool about that, though, is God teaches, taught, I mean, and and I told you this before, God taught me through that experience. Dave, why didn't you do that? You know, and, and because I prayed for opportunities to talk to this person, to my coworkers, about Christ. And I said, Lord, I want to do it in a way that, that they'll listen to me so that they hear the whole truth before they shut, cut me out, or shut me off. You know? And so um, the conviction there is, is that I need to be the example to Leo, not Leo being the example to me. And so I don't look down on him like, like Paul writes to Timothy. Don't let people look down on you because of your youth. But, you know, use what you have, the abilities and the teaching that you've been given to, uh, to lead your church, to lead uh, the people. Yes. What's that? I forgot about you. You were supposed to go after Jim? I did forget about you. I, I did forget about you. Mm-hmm. Three weeks ago, there was a lady who came outside, mm-hmm. and you called many different people in the church, and it was six o'clock in the morning, and it didn't matter that it was six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but that's you. The fact that you stopped and you still got up and you still did what right. you had. Yeah. <laughs> and that shows this lady what kind of church this is. That these people don't care what time it is. These people don't care 
Right. Right. And the amazing thing is, is there were people, there were even people that I did not call. There were people that didn't show up that God still used to minister to that woman on that morning. And you don't even know how that was. And the reason why I say that is because, because there was a feeding ministry in progress or beginning to take off in this church i was able to go into that room and open up the door and say hey you want to take some juice with you you want to take some pop tarts you want to take some of this stuff with you hey you know let me fill your bag up let let us excuse me oh it was heavy there were suitcases sitting back there unused that were waiting for somebody that had a need and the people that brought those, I don't know who they were, who brought those in. I know where they, we brought them with an intention, but God had a plan already to minister to a young woman. Yeah, so that, that pretty much answers the next question um, that I had written down, is, and that question is, what does godliness look like in the church? What does true godliness look like? True godliness looks like uh, someone coming in and just doing a job that needs to be done, and, and the attitude of spirit behind it is, Lord, I want to serve you with this, and I don't know how you're going to use this, but I know you are. And, and doing it with the, with the motivation of serving God and being able to serve others, even though we'd have no understanding of how God's going to use that. And so, um, back in Titus, real quickly, I'm just going to read a couple more of the verses. Yeah. Right. And so I want to back up just a little bit um, because the attitude that came there that you guys didn't see is it gave Larry and I an opportunity to sit with this girl and hand her a Bible and say, let's open up the Bible into John and look what Jesus Christ says about you and about your life. And so before everybody showed up, we had the opportunity for about 10 or 15 minutes to sit down and share Christ's love. And she's asking questions like, why do things like this happen to me? And the understanding of why things happen to us, as we established at the beginning, is if someone is not uncomfortable, if someone is not suffering, they cannot be comforted but with God's comfort by somebody else. And we were able to explain to this young woman that if we don't have suffering in life, we never make the choice to love. We never make the choice 
at, to pursue a God who already wants a relationship with us and to expose her to that. Because she had been exposed to church. She had been exposed to religion for years of her life and she never had experienced anything like this where she's sitting out on the sidewalk and somebody come along saying, you know what, come inside, let me get you some food. Let me get you something to eat. Let me help you get on your way where you're going. Um, and you are welcome here even though everybody in the room was strangers. You know, and to step into that, share the gospel with this young woman and then have another crowd or another group of people come in and start providing physical needs. And so she got to where she was going and she reached out to some people that had left their phone number with her and said, let us know how you're doing. We want to keep in touch with you. And she reached out and she said, thank you so much for that. And so that door is still open. That opportunity for communication is still open to minister to this person. Yeah. Right. It starts with personal growth. The admonishing is person to person. All of those things are person to person inside the church. Right. What happens using that drill as an example is mission. Yes, yes. So mission is born naturally. Out of ministry. Out of ministry. Right, yes. So Right. People have grown personally. We have grown <coughs> interactively in ministry, and then mission comes out of that. So Paul will say things like, make the most out of every opportunity, especially with the family of believers. Right. In other words, it ain't going to happen out there. Right. It ain't happening in here. Right. 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 So that that actually answers the the last question that I had, and in uh, how are we preparing for meeting the spiritual needs 
of our churches in our daily walk, of our church in our daily walk. I, I, you know, I, I often, um, throughout the week, I don't know about you, but when I go home on Sunday afternoon, usually before Monday morning, I'm already looking ahead to what's to come next Sunday. Uh, I'm looking ahead to tomorrow morning when I'm going to talk to this person or that person and what my prayers are going to be as things are going on that week. Um, Looking forward to, and I still criticize myself because I still go, I'm not doing it as much as I should, you know. Um, There's still a lot more to be involved uh, in that. But when we look at Titus 1.5, Paul gives them a, a, a directive. He said, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then after that, he goes on to give a, a description of what an elder looks like. And <clears throat> he leaves Titus there because there are things that are unfinished. There are things that still need attention. And Titus has been proven a reliable, spiritual man. Um, and, and so he leaves him there to, to fulfill all those things. And so to kind of lead into next week... Um, one of, the, one of the main points and the purposes of the book of, the, of Titus is to keep in mind God's grace and to, um, to remember the, the audience that, that he's talking to. And, and there's a little bit of hypocrisy that's going on in Crete uh, in, the, in the teaching that's there already. And so he's giving Titus um, the commission to, to make sure that people are getting taught, make sure that people are being led into godliness and into a godly lifestyle and being able to minister to one another. And then from that, like we said, the, uh, the branching out and the outreach will take place as a, as a result. So, um, and we'll pick up there next week. Thank you for your attention. I praise God for uh, that he has allowed me and my wife to be a part of this church and to and to worship and to serve here with each one of you so amen thank you for your attention